If you could be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, we will be starting there, and then we'll be heading to Isaiah 53 in a little bit. As I mentioned during the class hour, I think all of us are ready to be done with this format of worship. Um, We're looking forward to seeing each other face-to-face again. Um, I know I, for one, thoroughly miss singing with you all in the same room. I miss partaking of the Lord's Supper with you in the same room. I miss talking to you being right in front of me instead of little boxes on this computer screen. I miss a lot of things, and I know you do too. Um, But what I want to encourage us all to do is to not just simply look forward to being in the same room together, worshiping together as a congregation. I would like us to to think about Jesus' sacrifice this morning and apply it to our lives in looking forward to bearing each other's burdens like he did. You know, because if you look at Galatians 6 and verse 2, that's what the Apostle Paul tells that those churches to do, is to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But a question that I have about that passage is, where does that idea come from? Bearing burdens. It doesn't just come from Galatians 6. It comes from passages that were written earlier, um, or were at least spoken earlier, like Matthew chapter 8, and then long before that, Isaiah 53. So we're going to talk about how Jesus bore weight that we could not carry, specifically the worst disease that has ever been known to mankind. It's not COVID-19, it's not the bubonic plague, it's not AIDS, it's not any of the horrific diseases or viruses or maladies that can affect our bodies, it's sin. Jesus took out sin at the root And because of that, we don't have to fear anything else. Okay, so let's go to Matthew chapter 8, and let's look at this passage about how he bore um, diseases in this specific situation of Peter's household. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, it says, When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I just want to notice three things with you from this passage before we go to Isaiah 53. And the first one is coming from verses 14 and 15, that no disease is too small for Jesus to pay attention to and to treat. You know, when you look at the text that we just read, it's not as if Peter's mother-in-law is dying from some sort of horrific disease. I mean, maybe she is. Maybe there is a lot more going on in her body that is of of a more serious nature than what we're told about. But just reading the text from 
our perspective looking at this passage and what it says, the only thing that it says is that she just had a fever. Now, if you walked into a room and you looked at somebody who was lying on a bed and people around said, oh, she's got a fever, what would you do in reaction to that? What I might do is what maybe any of us might do and say, oh, well, that's that's unfortunate, and I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, but, you know, let's give them some Tylenol and make sure that they have plenty of clear fluids, lots of bed rest, and and hopefully they're going to be better in a couple of days. You know, we, we don't tend to just take feet Now, in this, in this climate with the pandemic, we take fever very seriously because it might be a symptom of COVID-19. But generally speaking, you know, we don't look at a fever by itself as some sort of a big thing. But Jesus, when he walks into this room, is not dismissive at all of her condition, even though what she has is not, when you compare it to all the different people with things going on in their bodies that Jesus met and would meet that same day, as the text says, her condition is not that serious. But instead of dismissing it, Jesus goes to her, and instead of saying, well, I'm just going to save my power for the big stuff, he touches her body, because he can't be made unclean by anything, and instead makes her body clean. So what we get out of this is that Jesus is interested highly interested in even the smallest details of our life that are out of whack because we are living in a world that doesn't work right. You know, the typical work week that we all have, I think it's safe to say, is full of stress and challenges and things that we have to rearrange around. Um, That's just the typical work week. But especially during this really odd time of our lives with the pandemic going on, I imagine that your life is just harder in lots of little ways. Um, Your typical routine is probably really thrown off now that um, many of us are working at home and trying to navigate that and trying to do all of our meetings online instead of taking business trips in person and all the different things that we used to do before this thing hit us. Um, so I imagine that's going on. And, and also, just we're, we're not spending time with other Christians anymore in person like we once were able to do. So as far as our work is concerned, as far as our spiritual life is concerned, there's a lot of things that are different. And for whatever reason, maybe completely unrelated to the pandemic, You might be going through things in your life that might not look very serious to other people, but they're serious to you because you're the one who's going through them. Just like when you walked into this, if you walked into this room, you know, for other people looking at Peter's mother-in-law, well, she's, yeah, she's got a fever, but it's a fever. But I would imagine if you are Peter's (laughs) mother-in-law, it's not that great for you because you're the one with the fever. But Jesus is interested in those things. And so that's why Peter says, going to another passage in Peter, 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We need to, we need to believe, Peter, that all actually
actually does mean all. It doesn't mean you bring the most serious things before God. You you give him anything and everything that is bothering you about what is happening in your life because he wants to hear about that and he wants to comfort. No disease is too small for Jesus to treat. And we can flip the coin and we can look at the opposite side of things in verse 16 because that verse goes on to make the point that no disease is too big for Jesus' power. Because notice what it says, that same day, after he performs this relatively small miracle in the house of Peter's uh, family, that evening, verse 16, you know, word's getting around town, and so they are, they are bringing people in by the cartloads. And notice the kinds of things that is, uh, are being said here about the condition of the people. So they're bringing uh, uh, people to him that don't just have tiny little fevers. They're bringing people who have evil spirits living inside their bodies. Uh, all who were oppressed by demons. And he cast them out with just a word and healed all who were sick. You know, the, the lepers or those who were lame or any number of things. He doesn't break a sweat. Just like he treated the fever, he can treat anything else that is brought to him without hesitation and really without expending a lot of strength doing it. Um, so this is just an incredible passage uh, that he can k- take care of these things. You know, when we think about we think about our relationships with other people, sometimes we just might not bother to share things that are going on with our lives, not because we don't think people care about us, but because we don't think that they can actually do much about it. So we just don't bother to mention it. But the people of Galilee brought everything to Jesus, and he was able to heal and change everybody's condition. You think about um, the amount of strength and mental power it's taking right now amongst a lot of different people's lives to try to fight this one virus that's going on in our country right now. You have inventors scrambling to try to create new kinds of ventilators. You have manufacturers who are trying to pump out materials and medical supplies and distribute them to hospitals and doctors and nurses who need them. You have people on the front lines trying to figure out how what's the best way to treat people who are coming in with COVID-19 and they're in a serious condition. Um, you have you have all these people trying to figure out how to help the disease, and you have government trying to figure out how to pump money into the economy and keep things going in a time when lots of people are losing their jobs. All these people in our world, in our country, are trying to figure out how to stop this one disease. But you think about this passage, what's interesting is you don't just have one disease going on, you have lots of different problems and you don't have a whole lot of people working on this. You have one man in Matthew 8. One single man is able to effortlessly 
without manufacturing, without inventing, without people scrambling around trying to figure out what to do, one man is completely obliterating the effects of sin in the world. So, no man is too, uh, no disease is too big for Jesus' power to fix it. And so when we pray to God and his Son, and we ask for protection, we ask for spiritual strength, physical strength, strength of any kind, this is the God that we are praying to. We need to remember that. But then we get to verse 17, and this is where we get the quotation from Isaiah 53. Jesus took responsibility for human disease of every kind. So, I think a curious reader would read through this section and get to verse 17 and go, well, that's really interesting. How exactly did he do that? What it says that Isaiah said about Jesus, that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases, because that kind of language sure sounds like he is taking something off of us, and he's putting it upon his own back. You know, like you would bear a burden, you would, you know, get a big sack of potatoes and throw it over your shoulder and walk down the street. But when you look at how he healed people, did he have to get those sicknesses himself? You know, when he touched the, the mother-in-law and, and he rebuked the fever and it left her, did he have to get a fever in order to heal her? No, obviously not. When he uh, cast out those demon-possessed people in verse 16, did he have to get possessed by demons in order to heal them? No. So, in what sense did Jesus actually bear our illnesses and diseases because it sure looks like, if you just read the text, that he's pretty much personally unaffected by everything that's going on. He's giving his power, but he's not actually having these things come on to him in a personal kind of way. I want us to, to just be reminded of the fact that when you read an Old Testament quotation in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit means for us to go back and look at the entire passage of where that little snippet comes from in order to understand what it's saying here. An example of that would be Psalm 22. You remember when Jesus is hanging on the cross? Before he dies, he quotes the first verse of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you just, if you just hear that one phrase, it sure looks like, wow, I mean, God has just abandoned his own son in his most dire need. But you go back and you read that whole psalm, and you find out that, no, God has not forsaken Jesus at all. But it sure appears that way to the people who are looking at it. So that's what we've got to do with Isaiah 53, verse 4. That's the passage that is quoted in Matthew 8. But we've got to go back and we've got to read the context to figure out how did Jesus actually bear our illnesses and diseases. So we're going to go back and look at this, um, but we're going to start in chapter 52 just to get the context and read through the chapter, chapter 53. So notice 52:13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. 
As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here's the verse Matthew quotes, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked, with a rich man in his death, though he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. It was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. To me, this is one of the most beautiful and horrifying passages in the entire book of Scripture that we have. So you go back and you look at how 52.13 starts. We're introduced to a servant. And... Notice how this servant is is said to be, he's going to be exalted. He's going to be brought up to a high position uh, by God, is our assumption here. Um, but notice how he is, his body is going to be so disfigured. His appearance is going to be so marred that people aren't going to want to look at it. Um, and when you start 53, of course, we're, we're now very curious about who this servant actually is. Um, because verse 2 says, even before his appearance was marred, his appearance was nothing special to write home about. 
it wasn't as if even before he got disfigured, he was really beautiful. He wasn't even beautiful to begin with. Verse 3 says he's not well loved by other people, and, and nobody wants to look at him. So notice how he's said to be such a reject that verse 3 actually says he is a man of sorrows. Not that he's got some periods of sorrow in his life. He is, and he is defined by a man of sorrows. Um, so why is this guy, this servant of the Lord, in such a terrible state? Is it because he's done something terrible and he's receiving punishment for that in his life because he deserves it? Well, I think it's clear that the answer is no because um, verse 13 of chapter 52 said he's a, he's a, he's a person who's wise. He's going to act wisely, not in a foolish, sinful kind of way. And then you drop down to 53 in verse 9, and it flat out says there's no violence in him. There's no deceit in his mouth. It's not like he's done anything against the Lord to deserve any of this horrific treatment that is, is coming his way. Now, he, he's getting beaten up, the servant of the Lord is, because he is bearing something for us physically, um, taking this and taking our spiritual guilt away from us and somehow in some kind of way putting it on himself. Notice how verse 6 says, The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He's bearing the load of our sins. Then verse 11, end of verse 11, he shall bear their iniquities. Notice end of verse 12, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All of that helps us understand verse 4. Because verse 4 is what Matthew quotes. Is verse 4 just talking about he made people's bodies okay? You know, he, he cast out demons and he made fevers disappear and he made lame people get up and walk again. Well, his his physical healing ministry was a part of all this. But this verse sits in an entire context of him bearing something more serious. Bearing our sins. Uh, so by the time we get to this part of our discussion about what Jesus did, um, I'm pretty uncomfortable right now. And I hope that all of us have some degree of discomfort when we think about all these things that Jesus did for us because Jesus very clearly taught that if we want to follow him, we're going to have to be imitators of what he himself did. Didn't he, didn't he say, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and you got to follow me to the hill and die alongside of me is the idea there. So if he was a Lord who bore our sins, our transgressions, that's not something, obviously, that we can do for each other in the way that he did. Only he can be our Savior. But do we realize that part of our job as followers of this Messiah who did this for us is to bear the messiness 
of other Christians' lives and get into their lives and, and help them however we can. Because here's what he did. He shouldered, like we talked about at the beginning here, he shouldered the weight of our most serious disease because we were incapable of bearing it ourselves. So like we talked about at the beginning, I'm looking forward to worshiping with everybody in the same room. But my prayer for us as a congregation is not just that we would merely look forward to that, but that we would look forward to helping each other in a deep way as brothers and sisters who who realize that we all have sin in our lives. First John 1 clearly teaches that no, no matter who you are, no matter what your maturity level is, no matter what your position and role is in God's family, all of us have sin currently in our lives. And the question is, are we going to appear to each other as people who don't? Or are we going to be able to open ourselves up and to have the desire to help other people who are opening themselves up to us in this kind of way. Sometimes we sing a song called No Not One. And the first verse of that song really fits with everything that we've been talking about here. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. None else could heal all our souls' diseases. No, not one. No, not one. I realize that all of us are preoccupied with this physical virus that has kind of taken hold of everybody's conversation and life to, to one extent or another. But let's never forget that the most serious disease that we ever face has been taken out uh, its power is gone, and we feel kind of a remnant of the effects of sin currently in our life because we we are continually being perfected and glorified and being brought to that final day when we will be made complete, not there yet. But let's just remember that this has been lifted off of our shoulders. And let's be careful and be thoughtful um, in our relationships with each other to look for ways to imitate what Jesus did for us because we are followers of, of this person who has made this incredible sacrifice for our sins. We can look forward to the day when he makes all things new um, because of what this passage is talking about. Thanks for everybody's attention.